Easter, a time of solemn remembrance, yet also of great rejoicing. Remembrance because Jesus sacrificed. Jesus gave up his life for us. He died in our place. That's not where the story ends. Jesus rose from the dead, confirming his authority even over death itself. We have great rejoicing because we can be assured of life even after we die. What makes Jesus dying 2,000 years ago let me live a life of freedom? Let's look through the ledger to see how Jesus paid it all when dying on the cross in our place. Good morning, everybody. It's a good day. Um, it's a wonderful day. We can celebrate uh, Easter, but Good Friday is Good Friday for a very special reason. We're going to be looking at that shortly. I want to read straight from the book of Luke, chapter 23, as we get into the service today. And it says, I'll be reading through from the NLT at this stage. As they led Jesus away, a man from, named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. But Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will see, well, sorry, when they will say, fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not borne a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left. Jesus said, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah and the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you are the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even though you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. By this time, it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. And the light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd came to see the crucifixion, saw that what had happened... They went home in deep sorrow. <coughs> Excuse me. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. It's approximately 8.25 this morning. 
it would have been at this moment in time, in their time, that Jesus would have been walking that path to the skull at this moment in time. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's significant we have an early service for Thursday, uh, for Friday particularly. It was at this moment that the crowd were jeering and although it says there were only the women were weeping and distressed, I'm sure there were many men who were questioning the same sorts of things. And the way that we live our life today really comes down to our belief in the Word of God, belief in what we've just read and more. Either it is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, or it is a collection of writings that someone has put together to satisfy a guilty conscience, which is what we've been told. I believe that this Word, this Bible, is the inspired Word of God. I believe it is true. And I believe it is faithful in, it, to its in its original text. And today is not the day where I want to defend the scriptures. I'm taking it as the truth because that's what I believe and I know many of you do as well. But later on next Sunday week, Pastor Jasmine will be sharing a little bit more about how we can actually look at the facts and the death of Jesus and the resurrection. And not only are they true but they can be proven to be true. Today, though, I want to share with you three insights that I believe are consistent with where we are, the teachings of Jesus, and that are demonstrated through, in a practical way, what happened on this day. There's no dispute across anybody, really, no one that's thought about this, no dispute about the existence of a man named Jesus, there's not even really any dispute over the fact that he was put on a cross and was crucified. Many people were crucified at that time that Jesus was. In fact, we read today two other criminals at the same time were crucified with Jesus. It was not an uncommon occurrence. The more serious the crime, the more the perpetrator was tortured before, during and and while everything was taking place. If, he, if it was a, a bad enough crime, they would find themselves being whipped, beaten, spat upon. And it got to the point where the, the, the worst of the worst were nailed onto the cross. Otherwise, they were just hung and tied with ropes. I'm not sure whether the criminals were nailed or not. It doesn't tell us. I would assume not. But it doesn't matter. It wasn't standard person, a standard a practice to, to nail to the cross at all. But Jesus was nailed to the cross. Jew, Jewish leaders wanted to humiliate him. They wanted to ridicule what he was standing for. Even to the point of hurling these insults that we've read already. If you really are the Messiah, take yourself down. Even one of the criminals made the same comment and, in, and added, save us with you. Jesus was tried. He was executed, although he was never convicted. And although Jewish leaders accused him of blasphemy, 
Jesus was never convicted of any crime. Yet, at that point, he was handed over to the Jewish leaders to do as they wanted, is what they were told. Three different people on that day, two of them being ones who had the authority to judge, Herod and Pilate, both of them, and one of the thieves, all recognised that Jesus had done nothing wrong. Luke 23 describes that a little bit. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Pilate had called them together, the chief priests and the rulers, and he says to them, I found no fault in this man concerning these things which you accuse him of. And no, neither did Herod, for I sent him to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death was done by him either. <clears throat> A clear, innocent man, certainly not deserving of death. We read on the cross, or we read the man on the cross today who said that he didn't believe or he knew that he had done something wrong and rebuked him. Do you not even fear God? seeing you're under the same condemnation, and we indeed justify for what we receive, the due reward of our deeds. But this man, he says, has done nothing wrong. Then after the crucifixion, there's a centurion who's standing. His, his sole job is to oversee and to ensure that everything goes according to plan and to make sure it's carried out the way that it's supposed to. And the centurion in charge of it all, he makes this statement. Certainly, he says, the man was a righteous man. He was innocent. The evidence of Jesus' innocence is overwhelming. Yet he was tried and executed in alignment with prophecies that were written about him hundreds of years earlier. It had to happen. It was prophesied that this is exactly what would take place. Even though it seems unbelievable that the priests who would have known exactly what was going to take place followed it through. You see, Jesus needed to be innocent in order for him to be worthy of the once and for all sacrifice. He needed to be innocent because if he was guilty of anything... He was not the pure lamb sacrifice that was to come. If Jesus had been guilty of anything, he was not the Messiah. But the very fact that he's innocent in this, although it's heart-wrenching and distressing to think that we would put a man who is innocent through what Jesus was put through, it needed to happen. Because it's your sin and my sin who put him there in the first place. We may as well have nailed him to the cross ourselves, Because if we had not sinned, Jesus would not have been there. He needed to be innocent. Hebrews 10 tells us, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. In other words, 
we needed to recognize that there is no possible way for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven in our current state of unrighteousness. The scriptures tell us that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are worthy to enter into the kingdom of heaven. None of us deserve to be in heaven because we are not innocent. We're, we're guilty as charged. But we are made righteous at this point. And that's the joy that we can experience because we, although did not deserve to get into the kingdom of heaven, we are not righteous, we're not pure, we're not holy enough to enter into the kingdom in our own standard, by our own, by our own standards. Jesus paid the price that was rightly ours to pay. So that we all can enter into the kingdom of heaven. We can walk into the kingdom of heaven knowing that we are righteous. We are accepted because the, the guilt may still be there, but Jesus has taken the blame for it. He's paid the price. We have been made acceptable. To enter into the kingdom of heaven because Jesus, the innocent lamb, became the human sacrifice that was pure, innocent. And it was that that was needed in order to pay the debt for our sin. Jesus needed to be innocent. And that's why today is a good day. It's a wonderful day. It's not good because Jesus died, but it is good because of what was achieved. It's a good day today because before today, if today didn't exist, you and I would be doing some sacrificing and, and all those sorts of things, trying to make amends for everything, and it would find ourselves coming up short. But Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice who paid the price. We do not need to do that anymore. The debt has been paid for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And because of what Jesus did, we can be absolutely assured that we can have our place in heaven. There is we, no need to have any doubt at all. We can have confidence. We have the assurance. We have the word of God who, which, which clearly describes for us the steps that needed to happen in order for us to be in the kingdom of heaven. The first step, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe what he's did, done. Believe that he is the son of God. Believe that he's the Messiah. Trust in him. Put our life into his hands and trust our life into his and receive him into our life. And we can have eternal life in heaven. Even if we mess it up from time to time. The scriptures are really quite clear. There's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. There is no other way into heaven except the path that Jesus has set forth for us. There is no good thing that you or I could ever do that is going to get us to heaven. You can be the best person in the entire world. You can be the most generous. You can be the most compassionate. You can have the most pure motives in everything that you do. But if you have never accepted Jesus into your life, the scriptures tell us that hell is your destination. 
Because the only way that we can get into heaven is not by being good, but by accepting the gift that has been given to us. It's a good day today because this is where it starts for us. We can be assured of our place in heaven so long as we repent of our sin, believe in him and be obedient or live obediently to him in our lives that we live and faithfully trust him. And when we do that, Jesus tells us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He tells us he will always be with us. He's given us a helper, the scriptures tell us. The Holy Spirit to help us in our times of need. Which leads me to the first principle I want to just share with you that I see demonstrated in, in today's scripture. And that is when our burdens are heavy, God provides. Verse 26. As an added insult to those who are being convicted, it was customary for the convicted criminal to have to carry their own cross. It was a burden they had to carry. There was no getting out of that, except for what they'd done to Jesus made it impossible for him. He started out to do that. He started to carry the cross, probably just the, the arm piece, the cross brace. But he was carrying that, weighted down, being whipped and beaten and bruised and forced to walk, but until he came to the point where he collapsed. And verse 26 says, as they led Jesus away, a man from named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. And the soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. You could say, well, did he... Simon of Cyrene want to? It didn't matter. Did he come to celebrate the crucifixion or be distressed at it? We're not told. But Simon of Cyrene has gone down in history as the one who carried the cross for Jesus. After Jesus was beaten, whipped, he was spat upon. He had a crown of thorns thrust upon his head. The humanity of Jesus begins to show through. He's broken. He's bleeding. And the weight of the cross is too much to bear. He can carry it no further. And he collapses under its weight. So the authorities grab Simon from Cyrene, coming in for whatever reason, perhaps the Passover. And they make him carry the cross. And the principle that I see... And I can find this through other parts of Scripture too, but it relates directly to this part of Scripture as well. Is that when our burdens become too heavy, Jesus is the one that carries our burdens for us. He's offered to do that. While we don't know that Simon of Cyrene had any sympathy for Jesus, we do know that Jesus couldn't bear the weight any longer. And I think it was fair to say that this Simon, when he came face to face with the reality of what was taking place, when he was dragged in from the crowd, this, this beam was thrust upon his shoulders, that he couldn't help but have a lasting impression of Jesus Christ for the rest of his life. 
But Jesus promises us in Matthew 11, even before all this took place, he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, all you who cannot carry your burdens any further, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon your shoulders and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take off your heavy burden and give it to me. All you who are overburdened with stuff. And I want to take it away, says Jesus. Life is tough. But I want to say to you, it's tougher without Jesus. It's tough enough with Jesus at times. And many who may even call themselves Christians struggle with what life throws at us, day by day, sometimes minute by minute. And the truth is that if we're trying to carry it through by ourselves, if we're trying to do it by ourselves, or we're trying to please God out of some religious duty by coming to church and finding, finding pen, or, or making penance, we're going to find that it's indeed a hard yoke to carry because we can't do it. It's too heavy for us. The weight of sin that we carry is far too heavy for us to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We need to submit to what Jesus said before. Oh, my yoke is light. Let's swap is what he's essentially saying. Let's take off that heavy burden off you and give it to me, and I'm going to give you something much better and easier to carry. There's still some burden attached to that. But Jesus is his light. So I'd go as far to say that it's hardly even worthwhile trying to carry our own burden. And so a life without Jesus is really no life at all. I think the promise that Jesus says that his burden is easy and light, it seeks to reassure us that there is a right way to do things. It also reassures us that the rigid, humorless, staged kind of religion is not his way. It's not about having to do things right and proper for right and proper's sake. Because Jesus has provided a different way. He's provided a different way of life for all those who are willing to accept it. And I would pray that we have made or we are in recognizing our need of making that decision. A life with meaning. He, he wants us to have this life with meaning. A life with purpose. And when life gets us down, and it will... There is no question, you will all struggle at some point in your life. If you've, if you've made it to the age of 100 and you've not had struggles, come and talk to me. It's a fact of life. And Jesus wants to support you. Jesus wants to take the heaviness of life. And he wants to give us something that's 
easier to carry. He wants to lift you up. And I would suggest, you remember that little poem, Footsteps? If you don't, you can Google it and you can find it. But essentially at the end it says, there's only one set of footprints. Starts out with two, Jesus walking beside. Ends in one. And the question is, where were you, Jesus, when I was struggling so much? Where were you when I had to go it alone? It's only my foot is, my, there's only one set of footprints. And the answer comes back, it was at that time that I was carrying you. The footsteps are not mine, their footsteps are Jesus's. And Simon carried Jesus's cross because Jesus could carry it no further. And Jesus will carry yours. He will carry your burden. For Simon of Cyrene and for Jesus' situation, the mission needed to be completed. Jesus needed to get to Calvary. But Jesus won't let you struggle alone. He won't let you go through this without help along the way, at least offering of help. And it's only with Jesus' help that we can be assured that our life mission can actually be, be achieved. God has a plan for your life. He has a mission for us. But it can only be achieved when we accept him into our life and let him take the burden of life on his shoulders and let him give us his burden, the one that's light and the one that's easy. And so I guess the question I want you to ask yourself this morning is, do you understand the mission that God has given you? Do you know your mission that God has for you in this life? Because if not, it, we may be struggling in areas that we really don't need to. We may be facing difficulties at this moment in time. And, and those things are going to start to pull us down. Jesus says, give me your burden so that you can get on with your life mission. Because while you carry your own, you're going to struggle. You're going to be distracted. You're going to be overburdened with stuff. And I'll be with you, says Jesus, even until the end of the age. Second point is our future is to be centered on Christ. Jesus was crucified on Golgotha. The place of the skull. It wasn't specifically unusual that Jesus was crucified there in that place. It was outside the city walls. They had to be outside the city walls. It was likely a place they did a lot of crucifixions. It was elevated on a hill so that everybody could see it. It was to be the most humiliating thing ever. And it was a difficult walk up the hill to carry your cross all designed to make it hard. But crucified with him were two other people. The Bible tells us that one was on his right and one was on his left. Did they know each other? I don't know. It doesn't say, it just says there were two criminals crucified with him. Sometimes I think we assume that they were in it together, but... There's, no, there's nothing that says that in Scripture. But one we do know was on his right and one was on his left. And Jesus is in the centre. 
And he's also in the center of the conversation that this person and this person are having. One of the criminals, Luke 23 describes it, who were hanged, blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, today, assuredly, I say you, you will be with me in paradise. That conversation is between this criminal and this criminal. And it's the same conversation that every single one of us needs to have at some point in our life. Every one of us. Either we hold on to our hard-heartedness, even when things are not working, even when things are at their worst, the arrogance, the hard heart, and we demand that Jesus get us out of this problem, because I've heard that happen. You've heard that happen. Or we humble ourselves, recognizing that we have no hope, and acknowledge that we deserve our punishment. We either live our life with the attitude that it's my right to do what I want, or I live my life acknowledging that I have no right to be excused for my sin. That's the choice we have, every one of us. And I said at the start, how we believe this what we believe about this will determine how we live at that point. Either we will be hard-hearted towards the things of God or we'll be soft and humbled in the presence of God, recognising our need for him. Jesus was at the centre of the discussion. And what we believe about Jesus in our life at this moment in time will also determine whether we too will be with him in paradise or not. Being a thief is not the issue. The problem was the attitude of the heart. The fact that the thief had done wrong isn't the issue. The fact that we've made mistakes, the things that we've done don't add up, that, that keep us out of heaven aren't the issue. The issue is our attitude of heart. And the parallel for us is so clear. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've said. Or it doesn't even matter what you've thought in life. Being with Jesus can be a reality for everyone who humbles themselves, confesses their sin, and asks Jesus to come into their heart. That's the criteria by which we can be assured of being in the kingdom of heaven. What we have done in our life is not the issue. That's why someone coming to know the Lord on their deathbed is, is exciting, just as exciting as someone giving it their heart to the Lord in their preteen years. It's, it's an exciting moment when, when someone recognizes their need, they humble themselves. God, we sang it in one of the songs this morning, that God will melt the heart of stone. What we've done is not the issue. It's what we do with the information that we have. 
We can either accept Jesus as our Lord or we can reject him. That's your choice. That's my choice. And once we have the information, once we understand the consequences, we need to make a decision what we're going to do with that. Some are going to choose to ignore it. Sadly, that's their decision. Some, even though they've learned the truth, still choose to ignore. But the truth is the truth whether we believe it or not. We can either receive Jesus, accept Jesus, or we can reject Jesus as our saviour. Avoiding the question doesn't fix the problem. Avoiding making a decision has already made a decision. And the reason for that is because not one of us knows how long we have left on this planet. Some of us may not even make it through the day. Are we ready for that? That's not to say I want you to go, or me, but it could be true. And lastly, the evidence is clear, verse 47. The question was, was Jesus who he claimed to be? Was Was he really the Messiah? Because that's what the accusation was. If you're really the Messiah, get yourself off the cross and, and prove it. Are you the one that's been written about in the history books, in our, in our prophecies? Are you the one right throughout the Old Testament? I want to say to you this morning that I believe the answer has to be yes. There's no alternative really for me. And I'm not alone on that. Many believe that. Apart from the testimonies of the disciples, the, the testimony of Paul... And, and a whole heap of other people through history, and more modernly, modern history as well, and even in today. There are many who recognize that Jesus is the promised Son of God, the Messiah. Even the one who was on the cross with him recognized who he was. What about the centurion who stood before the cross as Jesus died? The the temple curtain torn in two from top to bottom. You read in the other Gospels, you get a fuller picture of what happened. There's actually an earthquake takes place at the same time in Matthew. It tells us that graves opened up and, and bodies came up out of the graves. That'd be pretty cool. All at the moment that Jesus died on the cross, and this centurion looks and he says, surely this man is innocent. Surely he is innocent. Matthew 27, let me read it for you, because it says the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, the rocks were split, the graves were opened. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep died were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection and they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Don't tell me there was not some evidence of what that was going about. And after the centurion witnessed this crucifixion, the darkness that came upon the land, it said at midday, darkness came across the land until three o'clock in the afternoon or from the, from the sixth to the ninth hour. 
The centurion witnesses this, the veil in the temple being torn, the, the, the earthquake, the, the graves opening up. He concludes for himself that Jesus is the son of God. Matthew 27, 54. The evidence is absolutely clear for the Roman centurion who was there at the time and those with him who witnessed firsthand. We sit back here, look upon it 2,000 years into the future and we ask the same question, who is Jesus? Is he the son of God? Was he the promised Messiah? Why, why doesn't, if, if you are really the Messiah, if Jesus, you are the son of God, get rid of my pain, heal my body, fix up the problems, just get rid of everything that is being a problem to me and take away my suffering. Why is there so much disease in our world? Why are there so many problems? Why do people go through what they go through? Why is there so much unrest in our world? Jesus, if, if you're the son of God, Come and do something. Step in and save yourself and us. It's the same thing. Different time frame, same problem. John 1, 10 and 11 says, He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, flesh and blood, and his own did not receive him. He's the Messiah. The creator of our world came into our world and we missed it. John goes on in John 1.12, it says, But, but, for as many who have received him, for those, to them he gave the right to become children of God. For any of us in 2,000 years into the future who receive Jesus, confess our sin, repent of our sinfulness and receive Jesus into our life. He says, for those, he's given us the right to become children of God. For all of those people who believe in his name, the evidence is clear. Paul tells us, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and the Godhead. So they are without excuse. We are without excuse. So how do we exactly receive Jesus into our life? The answer is that we've just got to believe in him. It's not just believe he existed it's not just believing that he came once upon a time. Satan believes who Jesus is. It's not just about knowing that he existed. Satan knows he exists. It's actually putting our trust in him. Believing is much more than just believing in an existence. It's the English language problem we have. But it's believe in this context is actually believing enough to put my trust and faith and life into his hands and to let him lead my life. Putting our confidence into the person of Christ, knowing that his death on Calvary and cross, the cross paid the price for all my sinfulness. It's not just a, a, an intellectual understanding. It's not just 
something we get to learn and we've got it. But it's, it's much more like a, a total surrender where we say, you know what? My life, I can't live it properly. I'm mucking up. There's stuff going on that I just don't understand. I'm tired of it. And if we get to that point, and every one of us does at some point, I'm absolutely confident of that. It's a total surrender to Jesus as the only one who can take away our sin. Thereby bridging the gap between us and eternity in heaven. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we immediately become children of the King. John 1.12, we just read it. He gave us the right to become his children. That's why we can say he's our heavenly father. He's our Abba Father, our heavenly dad, without losing the respect that we need to give him and the honor. We need to follow his ways, allowing Jesus to live in us so that we live out the word that he has put into our heart. We're to worship him and worship him alone. We should be so overwhelmed by his presence in us that that our lips will overflow with gratefulness and words of joy. And yet we don't do it very often. And that's why today is a good day. It's a great day. It's a wonderful day. It's a good Friday. So I want to challenge you, if you've never surrendered your heart to the Lord, then today is a great day to do that. If you have, today is a great day to make sure that our commitment is strong. Celebrate the outcome. Because of the events that took place approximately 2,000 years ago, we get to experience life today in all of its fullness, right here, right now, knowing with assurance that we, if we were to leave this planet today, we could be in the presence of God instantly. What a wonderful experience. Death does not hold us. This life cannot hold us. Death has no victory over those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, we mourn the loss of people. Yes, we, we, we miss people that we've got to know. It's harder potentially with young children when they pass away before adults, but it's difficult regardless. Because we have this hope, we know that, that they can be and are in the presence of heaven, in presence of God, in heaven, if they've given their heart to the Lord. As children, we believe that they already are there. We get to see them only if, though, we have made that decision for ourselves. And what a joy. And it doesn't matter how old you are. So my prayer is for you this morning. The prayer that Jesus prayed before he went to the cross for his disciples. John chapter 17. Not read the whole lot of it, but I just want to pray with you. And it's this, and it's that we might be all one. Just as Jesus and the Father were one. And that we might live our life so that the world might believe as well that Jesus is the Son of God. Because today is a good day. And we can celebrate with confidence. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy and love. May your kingdom come and your will be done here in this place today.
unite us, Father. As Jesus and the Father are one, make us one with you, Father. Children, that John tells us that if we believe that you've given us the right then to become children of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've done. Help us to have a soft, humble heart. To be sensitive to your Holy Spirit's leading. Guided by your Holy Spirit in everything that we do. The attitude of our heart. The words that flow from our mouth. The actions that we portray in our body. Help us to be using our mind for good. Help us think on things that are lovely and pure and right and noble. Excellent and praiseworthy. Help us to recognize that you are never leaving us, that you have promised that you are always with us until the end of the age even. Thank you for that. And even when you feel far away, we can be absolutely confident that you are right beside us. Father, open our eyes. Restore us into your presence knowing that you are the one that can take away the pain. You are the only one who can take away the burden. You are the only one who will give us a burden that we can carry. So Lord, whatever that is for any of us here today, help us to be wise. Show us the steps that we need to take. Help us to be faithful to your word and true, not just with a head knowledge, but following it up with action. Bless your people, Father. Thank you for today. It's a good day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.